Welcome to The Golf Course, a modern forum for business conversations and insurance. I'm your host, Carrie Ann Nadeau, founder and CEO of ODN. I've invited Alex Maffeo, CEO of Boost Insurance, on The Golf Course to talk about how the infrastructure to facilitate disruptive innovation is broken and how Boost Insurance is fixing it to accelerate a robust market for new ideas and new approaches to insurance. Let's tee it off. Welcome back to The Golf Course. On The Golf Course today, I have Alex Maffeo, the CEO and founder of Boost Insurance. We're gonna cover a broad variety of topics today, but really the crux is how to bring new product innovation to market um, by introducing new insurance products and sort of easing the transition of insurtechs and introducing new products that either capture new risk or mitigate that new risk or help bring new products to market. So, so excited to have you on the show today. Alex, welcome. Thanks for having me, even though I'm, I'm pretty bad at golf. Is that okay? That's okay. I just <laughs> learned how to golf. Someone handed me a can of wine and keys to a golf cart, and I said, I understand why we all golf. This is Exactly. <laughs> so That's my favorite part, riding the golf cart and drinking the beers. That's it. <laughs> exactly. I can't golf either, but I'm excellent at riding in a golf cart. Exactly. Um, yeah, no, and the point of a golf course is, of course, to bring conversations about insurance that used to have been on a golf course sort of into the modern era, and that dovetails nicely with what you're doing. I'm hoping you can help set the audience up with a description of sort of the problem, the way that things used to work, and how Boost Insurance is really changing the paradigm. Sure, yeah, so I, I started Boost because uh, one of the things I, I identified as the number one barrier to entry for innovation in this market is the fact that the go-to-market timeline, especially if you're on a product or distribution side of, of the business, is just far too long. Um, especially if you're you know, an entrepreneur that's more technology focused and may not have you know, 10, 15, 20 years of experience in the insurance industry, uh, you, it's really difficult to convince an insurance carrier or reinsurer uh, to let you uh, test a product uh, live in the market. And insurers are traditionally just not really known for uh, being ahead of the trends or being willing to be the first one to jump in the pool on a new risk, right? So you saw it in rideshare and all of these other things where um, they have the benefit of and the luxury of being able to sit on the sidelines and, and letting a new emerging risk kind of evolve um, so that they then have the, the, the historical data that they need to feel comfortable jumping into it. So um, it's really, really difficult to, to convince a, a carrier or reinsurer to partner with a startup or or uh, even an experienced insurance professional has a good idea on the, on the product side. Um, and it kind of makes sense too, because carriers are large entities. They, they're in the business of risk management. Um, any of these programs, even if they are successful, are gonna take a long, long time to grow to a scale where uh, it's a meaningful part of their balance sheet. So uh, there's, there's a disconnect there that makes total sense from the insurer and reinsurer side. Uh, so we offered a platform that that allows them access to these things without uh, without having to do direct programs. So tell me, maybe an example would be helpful. So there's a there's a broad swath of insure techs, right? There's MGAs that are selling their own insurance. There's those that partner with insurance carriers. There's this new swath called risk tech that are sort of building data products to inform how risk is selected. Where do you see uh, Boost Insurance being most effective? And maybe you could provide an example. Right, yeah, so, we, so we, we kind of carve out our distribution channel, our customer channel into two buckets. 
the first and most critical is, is the InsurTech startup, right? So that's, that's a company that's, that's setting out to innovate the insurance industry specifically as their core business. And then the other side is what we very broadly define as digital platforms. Uh, those are technology companies, either startups or enterprise level uh, technology companies where insurance is not their core focus, uh, but it is definitely a natural adjacency that they should and could be monetizing if it wasn't so difficult to get the market. But uh, the InsurTech startup has been our main focus so, so far to date. We're only two years old ourselves. Um, and, and a good example of, of a good idea having trouble either getting to market or scaling uh, uh, is, is a company called LeaseLock, which we, we recently announced them a, a couple weeks ago. Uh, LeaseLock provides uh, security deposit replacement insurance uh, for enterprise level property management companies. Uh, what that enables property management companies to do is say uh, to their incoming tenants, hey, we don't, we don't have to actually uh, uh, require a cash deposit when you move in. Instead, you just pay a very small fee on top of your rent every month. Um, insure, and, but, but what LeaseLock did was actually create really robust insurance coverage. Uh, it's a brand new insurance policy that they've developed themselves. Every, every word is theirs. And they spent a, a lot of time putting it together. And it takes time to understand it and really wrap your brain around what they've built because it is so unique and proprietary. Um, but because of what they've done, it resonates really well with these enterprise level property management companies that know that uh, you know, things like surety bonds or flimsy coverage, and they're, just, they're not serving them adequately, especially at the, uh, at the enterprise scale. So um, we were able to just engage with, uh, with LeaseLock, dive into their insurance and their insurance policy, and take just a creative approach in, in our analysis of it, uh, where we could actually offer them the paper and the capacity uh, that was willing to take the risk on their program uh, because they did their work. And because this, the, maybe per, the possible perception of risk was far lower than the actual risk of itself just because it was different. Um, and we coupled that with the actual technology platform uh, that we've built in-house in to enable them to, to stop having to do their business through like emails to brokers all the time and getting their, their claims data like three or four weeks after the fact in PDF forms. Uh, you know, it then had to like manually extrapolate their own data. Um, just through a direct API integration with them, uh, they're getting all of the, uh, the rating coding, binding and issuing in real time that they need, uh, plus all of their own data back to them in, in real time when we receive it as well. So uh, we kind of offered them the best of all worlds uh, and we were willing to do that because they built an awesome product and, and they were the perfect use case for what we want to what we want to support in this industry. Yeah, it sounds like then if I can summarize briefly, it's sort of insurance carriers have a difficult time picking the insure techs that they're willing to put paper behind, especially when they're sort of unproven new risks or a new sort of approach to insuring an old risk like renter's insurance, right? right. Um, how do you do it better? I mean, you could end up holding the bag, right? You've got reinsurance reinsurers investing dollars, what happens? You know, we talked a little bit about like, maybe like an alien abduction insurance, <laughs> but then Independence Day happens. Right. What happens to Boost? Yeah, so, we, uh, so we've put together a very creative team in-house. I think the first thing that we would start with uh, at Boost and saying what our value prop is, our team is awesome. Uh, and it's a really diverse group of both technology and VC professionals, like crazy people like me, but also really experienced insurance professionals that know what they're doing. Uh, one thing I noticed when I started uh, hiring in the insurance space was how siloed people get, especially on the underwriting side, uh, where not only are you underwriting like DNO insurance, but you're, you're underwriting DNO insurance for like just financial institutions for your entire life, right? 
So we really value creativity and diversity of experience, uh, especially among our insurance team, uh, where we can sit in a room and all collaborate together and look at things a little bit differently, where you maybe have a guy that, that has a data background that's talking to a property underwriter um, and you're, you're figuring it out, right? You're saying like, this is the IOT data that we have uh, for this smart home company and they, they believe that that's gonna mitigate risk in, in, on a homeowner's insurance policy. And you have two really smart, creative people from different worlds just collaborating all the time to, make, to figure it out. We do the work and we have a unique uh, combination of skills in-house here uh, that allow us to come up to it, make it, make it work, number one, but also do it in a responsible way because ultimately we're going to be held responsible by our reinsurance partners for the, for the, for the underwriting performance of that model. So, it almost um, sounds like a VC approach, right? They put together very long compendiums that um, sort of dive into not only the company financials, the approach, the founders. Does that, um, is that part of your heritage? Is that where this yeah. approach comes from? Yep, that's, that is my background. That's what I know. So that's kind of what I modeled a lot of this off of because I didn't know anything else. Uh, so I, I spent about nine years uh, as a VC investing in InsurTech and, and, uh, and FinTech uh, companies at a firm here in New York called IA Capital Group. Uh, and that's just really all I ever did. So I got to know the nuts and bolts of insurance through a couple of side investments that we made. We started a carrier, invested in a Hamilton Insurance Group. Like we did some sleepy balance sheet type stuff uh, while I was also doing like weird crypto and fintech and insurtech investing as well. So hybrid of experience there. But what I knew operationally was how to vet opportunities uh, from the VC lens first. So the top of our funnel is always, it's always an insurtech startup or a technology company that says, I want to, you know, I want to sell alien abduction insurance, right? And we go, weird. Um, let's talk about it. We never say no. <laughs> never a knee jerk. Uh, your expertise with us. Maybe there's something we don't know that we should yeah. know. But there is never a knee jerk reflexive. No, that is we, we say yes to everything, at least for the first part of the conversation. Um, but we walk, we walk through with them. We said, why do you want to sell alien abduction insurance? What's your total addressable market? Why do you know there's an addressable market here? Do you have a user? And we go through that whole uh, experience, like you know, management team experience. And we, we vet it from the upside perspective at the top of the funnel first. And if it gets through that um, and usually happening in parallel, because uh, we like to keep things, uh, kind of hand in hand between the growth biz dev team and the insurance team is we have seasoned insurance professionals that are evaluating it from a risk perspective. They're like, what's the frequency of, of abductions? Where do they happen? You know, things like that. And, and we're developing a, a thesis around the opportunity from both how big can it get? What's the risk going to look like? And, uh, and how does this team look like they can actually execute on this, uh, on the thesis as well. So um, once we have that all, you know, packaged up and ready to go, and we're really comfortable with it. We'll develop an insurance product around that specific risk. Uh, it's not necessary forms, rates, uh, and, and underwriting guidelines, and we and we facilitate all the filing and uh, an appointment of them as our agent too. So it's really uh, an end-to-end -end turnkey solution for them. Wow, I feel like I always thought, having been to innovation departments and insurance carriers before, having been brought in by multiple to showcase your technology in front of the business unit, sort of try and gain traction from the front door of the engine yeah. innovation department. I always thought on the positive side of things, and a lot of people are critical of these sorts of establishments and their inability to actually seed innovation or move very quickly. And there's a lot of functional reasons why they could improve. But on the positive side, I always thought, man, these people are seeing the coolest new technologies before they've hit the market. So yep. 
new products that didn't exist before, whether they be ride sharing 10 years ago, scooters five, seven years ago, or whatever it is today that we as consumers aren't even yet aware of, but are probably going to meaningfully change beyond just maybe autonomous. There's probably a hundred products that'll meaningly, meaningfully change the sort of tech landscape in a way that I would, if I was an innovation department, I would open my own little VC and invest in early stage companies. We're starting to see them. It strikes me that um, you've done that. You've you've sort of taken that brilliance and encapsulated that in Boost Insurance to say, we're going to approach this like an investment. We're going to look at these new risk companies, or maybe you could talk about that. Like, are you seeing new risks? What type of companies and what types of products are emerging from your conversations? And what are you getting excited about? Yeah, you're you're exactly right. First of all, they the schizophrenia of being a VC and just looking at different things all the time and all the new emerging uh, trends was like by far my favorite part of the job. But the, the actual investment piece was the necessary evil to get into like the fun stuff, like the actual operating. So I'm happier where I am now. Um, but we get to still see the cool stuff and we're, we're super nimble. So it's easy for us to actually use that cool stuff when it, when it comes to the door. Um, but we see a ton of uh, innovation in the mobility space, obviously. Um, that's just top of mind for basically everybody across the industry where, uh, you know, the, the line between who's the insured uh, is, is, is blurring every day with the emergence of semi-autonomous vehicles and ultimately autonomous vehicles. You have, you know, Tesla coming out with their own insurance program as, a, as an MGA. Um, these are things that are happening all around us and uh, it, you can use all the buzzwords you want, but they are real trends that are here to stay on demand, gig economy, sharing economy. Uh, these are things that have created brand new risks uh, that are we're ultimately underinsured, uh, and we want to be in a position that maybe it's not maybe rideshare is not the the current next big thing because it's been here for a while, and insurers are like maybe not comfortable with it, but they at least understand the risk behind it. Um, but we want to be in position as Boost to be uh, ready to support the next rideshare trend, the next uh, sharing economy trend, whatever is next uh, is something that we want to be in position for. Crypto is something we're working on actively right now. Um, as one of the programs that were in, that are in development with us, where um, look, there are risks involved with crypto wallets and exchanges, and hacks happen. Uh, but just like you see in the cyber cybersecurity space and the cyber risk insurance space, people are figuring it out and understanding the different data points they need to look at, the different risk mitigants that are available uh, to protect and and accurately price uh, cyber risk. Just a weird hybrid of you know cyber theft and something else, right? Um, so we're in the process of developing a product for that, for, 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 one, of our future, for one of our new programs. Um, we love all the weird stuff, and we invite all of it to come and pitch us, and we'll listen to you, that's for sure. We might not do it, but we'll definitely listen to you and give it, take it seriously. So I want to talk about that. How do we work with Boost Insurance? So as a, a startup, it seems like there's a clear value proposition for distribution and for, do, uh, for paper to sit behind right. your product. How do, do carriers, do reinsurers, how does the other side of the equation work with you? Yeah, so the value prop, we provide value proposition on both sides of our marketplace. We really have two customers, right? It's, we're serving distribution and these technology companies that want to sell insurance to their customers. But obviously, ultimately, we're, sell, we're serving our reinsurers and state national as our carrier. So actually, state national, which is the largest fronting carrier out there, obviously, um, they invested in a business in our seed round. So... Uh, they, they have a meaningful uh, interest in what we're building uh, at Boost, and they've been incredibly supportive partners um, on, the, on the paper side of the transaction. And alongside them uh, was actually Nafila, 
that invested, Nafil is the big uh, $12.5 billion ILS uh, asset manager and reinsurer um, and works very closely with State National. Uh, they also invest in our seed round and, and, our, and our close commercial partners with ours. So they were invaluable in putting together what we call the reinsurance facility and a group of reinsurers. Right now it's only three, uh, but there are three really big ones and pretty awesome ones that, that, are, that really buy into our concept. And that's uh, Markel, uh, Renaissance Re, and Nafila collectively uh, serve on a, a, de a single dedicated facility uh, with 100% quota share agreement behind State National. Uh, to support boost programs any, across any lines of business. And they, they share in a risk, they share in a reward, uh, and they work extremely collaboratively with Boost as we were developing these programs uh, uh, for them. Uh, they were the ones that, when I hit the market, about a year before we actually signed them, uh, that were willing to listen. They were willing to be creative about how they looked at program business and they looked at new risks. Uh, and they were you know, forward-thinking enough to spend the time to figure out a different structure that would work for our business model. Um, and it's been an amazing relationship uh, so far. And we actually structured it in a way where it's more of a subscription type agreement where uh, we can actually add additional reinsurers to the facility to, to, uh, to participate alongside Nafila and Markel and Renry um, so that it's every, there's an even more robust network on the back end for us. It gives them the ability to do the experimental stuff uh, with startups when they, one, may, may not have expertise in-house to vet a startup or a new technology or a new product, uh, and B, they can keep it at arm's length in an, on an aggregated basis through a single program instead of dedicating all these resources to do one-off little tiny programs that have a high probability of failure, let's be honest, um, and even if they succeed, will be it'll be, take a really long time for them to be meaningful for a business of their scale. So uh, we consider ourselves really an aggregator, a curator, um, of and a conduit uh, to the innovation market uh, for them. And they really, really support us in a big way uh, to help get these programs up and running. Yeah, it makes, I mean, it obviously makes a lot of sense. You have a very successful and operating business off of it. So the, the business case is there. The interesting thing, and the reason why I wanted to feature you on this podcast is it really is a structural rethinking of the way innovation emerges and can yep. happen, right? It's no longer like on the insurance carrier to have an innovation department to vet or to sit back and wait for others to take the risk and all be in this sort of collective dilemma of like who goes yeah. first, right? It's saying we can actually systematize the, the sort of, if, if you thought about it like a VC, right? The seed stage so that insurance yep. carriers can invest on the series A, the series B, the series C, where they feel a little bit more comfortable, right? Yeah they're a little bit more risk averse and yeah. it strikes me that the seed stage was missing up until this point it's true yeah i would say some of the some of the smartest people i meet in this industry are the ones that work at in within the innovation units of insurance companies that's for sure right. I mean, they, first of all they're they're no different than like me or any other like insure tech startup person because they're working in that unit for a reason it's because they believe in this stuff and they know it um the problem i see with these innovation units sometimes and this is just the innovator's dilemma i don't know if you've ever read that book mm -hmm. The, the difference between like incremental innovation and disruptive innovation, they are well, way better positioned for that incremental innovation, uh, than that strategy, because it's, it's less wrought with political risk internally for them personally, right? Um, you know, beta test, pilot test with all these pilot program with some of these data analytics companies, these, you know, alternative, you know, whatever it is, satellite imagery companies, things like that, where 
it will it will add immediate value to their to your business in an incremental way and put, could like potentially actually uh, add uh, transformative value to your your business over the long term. But it's less uh, it's less risky internally for, uh, for for the individuals running those things. Um, the things I the, the disruptive innovation, the things that are they're writing new products, they're creating new underwriting methodologies for these new risks. Uh, they're using or developing their own proprietary uh, algorithms to better price or or, or vet uh, the risk of an insured. Uh, those are the companies that are disruptive to them, potentially disruptive to them. Um, they're real, and it's going to be a long, long, long process before any of these gigantic insurance companies are ever really truly disruptive. Probably one, either one of our lifetimes, uh, but it's going to happen. There are going to be winners, and and they will chip away at the glaciers until until it gets done. Uh, that is better served externally at an arm's length. Because those companies need to have the freedom to operate, um, and they need to have the freedom to really bite the hand that feeds them in a lot of ways. Um, so that you can't really do direct because people are going to get pissed. Um, if you have a person internally that's writing, like you know, drone insurance for some reason, if you're a traditional insurance carrier, and then all of a sudden you partner with this insure tech uh, startup that's doing a product that's competing with your drone insurance uh, group, they're going to get pretty angry. Um, so doing it at arm's length through a company like Boost. Uh, creates not only that conduit to give you access to those trends, but a buffer to just kind of point at us and say, eh, don't worry about it. It's just we something weird that Boost is doing that we have nothing to do with it. <laughs> so Until it's hugely popular and successful, then we brought Boost in for sure. Yeah, exactly. It's all us. Yeah, exactly. That's cool. They could buy us for that. that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That too. Yeah. Um, right. So we talked a little bit about new product innovation. I think one slight iteration on that that I do want to touch on is the point of sale changing. I think there's a lot of conversation around customer discovery and customer engagement and, and meeting the customer where they're at because the expectations, frankly, of millennials are changing. The technical ability of people in general and technical expectations are changing. And we have an aging population that may or may not uh, like to use technology and so we have these legacy systems that serve a certain population but not new populations so we're really struggling with this question of where to sell insurance and how um, curious to know if boost thinks about products entering the market not only as new products to ensure new risks but also maybe as an opportunity to expand the way that insurance is sold today yep agreed 100 so um, alongside this kind of core uh, thesis of product innovation broadly um, is really this modern distribution thesis that we execute on. And this might not be popular with some of your, your audience that maybe brokers, agents, or, or what have you, but it is what it is. A um, fight on the golf course. It's happened before, right? <laughs> yeah, I, it wouldn't be the first time I got Twitter hate or something like that. <laughs> yeah, golf has um, come to cups before. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, bring it on. Um, but anyway, I, I would say one of the other kind of barriers to, to innovation, obstacles to innovation in this industry is what I, we like to call the golden handcuffs. Uh, for insurance companies and reinsurers is really, you know, they are their existing distribution network of brokers and agents is where their 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 bread is buttered, right? That's where they're getting the billions and billions of dollars of premium every year, and that's traditionally and historically how insurance has been best sold. Um, I'm not saying that brokers and agents are dying at all. I think there's always going to be a role for them in this world, especially for more complicated lines of business and things like that. Um, buying a consumer good warranty is not the same thing as buying like. Know, you know, general liability for your business that is your entire livelihood, right? Um, but digital distribution is ubiquitous across all industries right now. This is the way that the way that people interact with commerce of any sort, financial products of any sort, is inherently 
exponentially more di digital than it used to be, um, and it's going to continue to be uh, to grow. So what we see is that any insurer or reinsurer who invests in a meaningful way in direct digital distribution through what traditionally has been called affinity channels, um, they get they get a lot of phone calls from their brokers and their agents who don't understand or or don't appreciate uh, the fact that they're doing that. Since we're starting from scratch, we are not beholden to the same types of networks. Uh, we're we're focused exclusively on companies who are executing on that type of strategy. So uh, the modern distribution of insur insurance and what you had alluded to as the like, new point of sale uh, for insurance, we believe is alongside or behind a complementary product or service. Um, that complementary product or service uh, could either be mit a mitigant of insurance risk, so maybe it's a cybersecurity software tool um, that a small business owner is purchasing. Um, that means that that small business owner is thinking about that risk. They are responsible enough to be buying something that protects them against that risk. And most importantly, that that, that risk is top of mind that, that creates a natural point of sale for cyber insurance to be offered behind that at the point of sale. Um, so that's the general thesis that we're running off of, which is in the best interest of the insurer taking the risk to have that complimentary product or service sitting in front of it. Uh, what our technology enables is for that to all happen within our distribution partners environment. So they can use their existing website or mobile application or what have you uh, that they're already engaged with their with their customer uh, to actually uh, quote rate bind issue that insurance policy so that it feels like it's just happening. They're not buying the insurance from Boost Insurance. They're buying that insurance from Airbnb when you're doing a short duration rental, right? Um, and we enable all of that on a fully white label basis through an API integration. So um, I truly believe that the modern faces of, of insurance uh, distribution will be emerging brands focusing on the space like insure tech startups and also uh, brands that have absolutely nothing to do with insurance but, uh, but create a natural point of sale for it. Yeah, absolutely. I once put a pizza in an oven in an Airbnb and nearly burned the thing down. So I absolutely <laughs> appreciate yep. that example, it's, right? It's, a, it's, it's like the travel insurance for everything model, right? Like you're, you probably were not, even you're, you are running an insurance podcast right now and you wouldn't have thought to go shop for direct to consumer for a short duration rental insurance policy when you were getting your Airbnb. Wouldn't even know where to go. Yeah. Exactly. Nobody would. So if, but if it was offered by Airbnb at checkout, just like if you are, you know, binding your, your new fintech company, if homeowners insurance or title insurance or short home share insurance is offered you at the point of sale, you're way more likely today to buy it that way uh, than you would historically. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think that that is a great place to sort of wrap today's podcast on the golf cool. course. Um, specifically because I think we've come full circle on talking about just really changing the paradigm, saying the way that we used to do things is not the way that is going to facilitate really robust, disruptive, and interesting innovation going forward, and that there's very smart, tangible ways like Boost Insurance um, that we can actually accelerate the growth of innovation and see more products come to market, and frankly, more people make money because there's really a, an underinsured activities and population where we can provide insurance and greater peace of mind um, and de-risk situations like putting a pizza box in the oven at an Airbnb. So, <laughs>
I think it's a great, uh, a great idea. And I wish you the best of success. Thanks for being on the podcast today. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So this has been Carrie Ann Nadeau, founder and CEO of ODN with Alex Maffeo, the CEO and co-founder of Boost Insurance. We'll put links to how to contact Alex below. And thanks again. See you next time on the call. Thank you so much.